glorified than anything else. Lord, our hearts were made for you. And may our restless hearts find peace in you and you alone. God, be with us as we just, we got to worship you in song and now we get to worship you in the word. God, I pray that you make it effective in the hearing of your people. Only you can do that, God. And so God, may you bless the reading and the explanation of your word and may it have the effect you intend it to have. I do pray that if anyone is in here that's far from you, that's separated from you, that today they hear the good news of the kingdom of God and the good news of how good the king of that kingdom is. And may they come to faith in you by your grace and by grace alone. And I pray for your children in here. I pray that you give them assurance of their faith. Give us grace as we seek to slay our sin by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. Uh, please turn to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter six. Without hesitation, 19-year-old, private first class, Ross McGinnis, gave his life for his friends and fellow soldiers. He was a 50 caliber caliber machine gunner with the 126th Infantry, serving in eastern Baghdad in 2006 in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. On a routine patrol on December 4th, they were attacked, and an enemy combatant was on a roof, and he threw a grenade that went through the top hole of the truck, and McGinnis yelled, grenade! And he began to exit from the top of the vehicle, but he quickly realized that all of his buddies and all of his fellow soldiers didn't see the grenade or hear the call. And instead of jumping out, this 19-year-old young man jumped back in and smothered this grenade with his body, sacrificing his life for his friends and, and And every single one of his brothers in the truck survived this event. McGinnis was awarded posthumously a medal of honor for his amazing sacrifice for his brothers in arms. I was listening to interviews this week from from, uh, Ian Newland, one one fellow soldier with, with Ross in the 126th Infantry, when he says, when asked to discuss... What McGinnis did, he said, I live with it every day. I see it every day. He was facing me, he says, when the grenade detonated. Ian was hit hard with shrapnel from the blast. After countless surgeries, he still had over 50 pieces of shrapnel in his body, but he had his life due to the sacrifice that Ross made. And he goes on to say, there are many days that I should have died in the war, but especially that day. My kids would have been like so many others growing up without a father. My wife would have become a widow. It's true, Newland says, after a near-death experience, the grass looks greener, the smells seem brighter, and the little moments are immeasurable now, he says. There isn't a single day or hour that goes by that I take for granted. The smell of my daughter's hair, the touch of my wife's Hand. I don't take any one moment for granted anymore, he says. I'm able to appreciate and have these things over and over again because of what Ross did. He gave me my wife and my kids back, he says. When someone gives you a life, when somebody lets you live, when somebody gives you their life, he says, can you thank them enough? Is that possible, he asks. I think for me, he says, to thank him, that's all I can do is to live my life to the fullest. It's an amazing story, right? And you hear that almost every time when you hear one of these amazing stories of war heroes who sacrifice themselves for their brothers. You always hear from their comrades, I want to honor them with how, that, how I live. I want to live well for them. I want to live to the fullest for them. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have 
And we follow the God-man who took the grenade of God's wrath for you and I. We follow Jesus who took the grenade of God's wrath for us. Then what do we do with that? What do we do with that? How, how then do we live in response to the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus Christ paid for us on the cross? How do we live? How, and how blessed are those few followers of Jesus that witnessed the cross? Most of them, women. All of his clo- closest followers, except for John, had, had, had run from him. But how blessed are those who witnessed the cross. How marked would they have been by that experience, seeing Jesus die for their sins? And yet, Jesus teaches how blessed are those who believe and have not seen. So how do we live to honor? How do we live in light of this truth? And in part, in part, we put to death sin by the power of his spirit. We, we do not make peace with the sins that Jesus died to save us from? That, that's, that's one answer to the question, how do we live in honor of the, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ? And In Romans chapter 6, look with me as I read several verses in this chapter, this answering the question, what do we do now in response to this amazing sacrifice of Jesus? Verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For, we have, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of Righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. And the rest of the chapter goes on to say that we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves to righteousness. We, in Christ, have a new and better master. We are not under the tyranny of sin anymore. We are under the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we live under a new and much better master. Slave to righteousness, that we get to use our bodies not as instruments of wickedness in front of God anymore, but we get to use our members as instruments of righteousness to a holy God. How do we live in honor of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us? We we do not make peace with the sin that Jesus died to save us from. Romans 8.13 tells us to put to death our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we are to kill our sin by his power, not by your own strength. Listen, church, we are filled and sealed with the Holy Spirit at, our, at the moment of conversion, the moment we believe in Jesus Christ, not at a later time. The moment you believe in Jesus, and, and the Holy Spirit can never be taken from you like he could be in the Old Testament. You know, the Holy Spirit only came on certain people at certain times for certain occasions and, and reasons. And, and 
The Holy Spirit could be taken away. If you think about King Saul, when he disobeyed God over and over again, the Holy Spirit was taken from him. If you think about King David after he sins with Bathsheba and has Uriah killed and and he's repenting in Psalm 51, he prays, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Church in Christ, you don't need to pray this. This is good news that the moment of belief in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the, with the Holy Spirit, the guarantee of eternal life. And we put to death sin, not by our own power, but by his. And that's this sermon series, last week, this week, and next week, how do we kill sin by the power of the Spirit? I want you to know, I want you to know how to live in this reality as a Christian. How do you deal with the remaining sin in your life? You need to know how to do that. A couple of things to remember. John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And he says, the amount of comfort, peace, and strength, and joy that you feel in this life is directly tied to your killing sin. Sin is an enemy. It will take your peace. It will take your comfort. It will take your joy away. It's an enemy. Even though we are headed towards heaven in Christ, our experience of our relationship with God, with God will be less. And that's why the killing sin process, I just spent five weeks going through the path of discipleship as a church. And underneath the communion with God is killing sin. That's what this is, an explanation of that in the path of discipleship. Because the main enemy to our experience of our relationship with God is remaining sin. I also want you to remember, last week, it must start with repentance. How do we kill sin by the power of the Spirit? Well, you have to repent. You can't try to fight temptation without first having your sin cleansed by God. 1 John, 8 through, 1 John 1, 8 through 10 says this, we say, if we say we have no sin, listen to the tension in the Christian life here. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so there is a reality in which we will never be without remaining sin until we get to heaven. But there is always a sense in which we are fighting and, and to do so joyfully. Because we are free. And we get to do this for God's glory. So it starts with first, repenting of our sins. But what next? So there's two steps in the killing sin process. One is repentance and two is fighting temptation. And under the second point, there are four subpoints. I'll cover two today, two next week. And so we fight temptation in the power of the Spirit. We have to have our sins cleansed and then we fight Temptation. Once Jesus has cleansed your soul of sin and unrighteousness, we must learn to prepare for the next temptation and conquer it. For we must understand the nature of our temptation. Listen to James chapter 1. Let's learn who to put the blame on for our temptations. James chapter 1, 12 through 15 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, God himself, tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, listen to this analogy, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Listen, who's to blame for our, the temptations of our flesh? God? No. The devil? No. What does this passage say? It says, we are tempted when we are lured away. This is a fishing analogy for those fishermen in the room to lure away, to, to, to lure the fish out of his hole to come Eat your lure. This is the heart of every person. Satan only has power to tempt us over things we're already weak towards. Things that our own hearts are drawn 
towards. We are lured away by our, our own flesh, the desires of our flesh. And I want us to have a mind shift on how to handle temptations. I want us to learn to look at each temptation to sin as an opportunity to honor Jesus Christ. Instead of being afraid of every temptation around every corner, I want you to see every temptation that you feel, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to see it as an opportunity to prefer Jesus over the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's a better way to view it. Jesus, I want to prefer you today over the fleeting pleasures of sin. Yes, may we have that mind shift. And, and we are to make war on the sin and temptation of our flesh. And we are to be willing. We need to be willing to radically amputate the remaining sin in our flesh. Because, again, Romans 8.13 tells us to put it to death. And I believe he is picking up on Jesus' own teachings in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, and Jesus is talking about, in context, lust. That is Lust in the heart is just like committing adultery in your heart. And in this context, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right, eye, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. It's a violent picture, right? Before anybody leaves here and starts lopping parts of your body off, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole. So where does sin come from? Does it come from your eye? Does it come from your hand? Does it come from your foot? Where does it come from? Your heart. And so don't, Jesus is not teaching that you maim yourself, okay? Please don't do that. I think about our reputation in the city. Those are the people that cut their Body parts off. Yeah. Guaranteed strategy for no one coming to visit our church, right? Uh, if, we're, if we're known for that in the city. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. But he is teaching spiritual, radical amputation. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to get sin out of your life? Or have you made peace with it? Have you made peace at some level with the sin that Jesus died to save us from? I also want you to remember that Romans 8.1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So for those of us who are in Christ, you, you fight this warfare as someone who has no condemnation. You are freed from the penalty of sin. This is, this is not to earn God's love and favor. It's because you have it. You've been given it. We are not under condemnation. This is for the love and honor of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 3, and 4, as we talked about last week, as we fight sin, we do so already having the righteous requirement of the law satisfied in us through Jesus. That's already been dealt with. And so we kill sin with no condemnation and having perfect righteousness in Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So reflection number one of two. Reflection number one under how to fight temptation, set your mind on the word of God. Set your mind on the word of God. Look at Romans 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 5. Again, this is the chapter in which we're studying Romans 8, 13, verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. We're asking, how do we kill sin by the Spirit? Well, we learn more in this chapter of how to do that. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh, set your mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In your warfare against sin, the Spirit of God tells us, as the divine author of Scripture, to set your minds on the things of the Spirit. That phrase is only used one other time in the Bible, and it's talking about the Bible. 
So if we're asking, Spirit, Holy Spirit, how do you kill sin in our lives? And the Spirit of God says, set your mind on my things. Set your mind on the word of God. There, there is no killing of sin without setting your mind on the things of God. It's one thing to just read the Bible passively. It's another thing just to, it's a good thing to be in the scriptures daily, but we've got to get underneath it. We've got to press into God. We've got to press into the Bible. We've got to store it into our minds. We've got to store it into our hearts if we're going to have a chance in this warfare. The remaining passions of your flesh are strong, and, and we have to meet it with the Word of God, giving yourself to the Word of God. There is no substitute for this. And I want you to see, the goal is not just reading your Bible, it's getting the Bible in your heart. Does the Word of Christ dwell richly in you? Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a silly analogy, but this time of year, squirrels gather nuts to survive winter, right? They're storing up enough food to make it through winter. That's by nature. Squirrels have to store up to survive the harsh winter. Well, listen, Christians, by nature, we have to store up the word of God in us to survive these temptations. There's no substitute for the word of God. And what does the spirit, listen to me, what does the Bible tell us the Bible is? In Ephesians chapter 6, it's a chapter about putting on the armor of God in the warfare against the devil. How do we put on the armor of God? And what is the armor of God? And in Ephesians 6, 17 The second half of the verse, it says, and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, wait a minute. If we're asking the Holy Spirit to kill our sin, and the Bible is saying the spirit has a sword. The spirit of God has a sword, a killing agent that will be, that can penetrate sin's temptations before they become sin in our lives. Now, the spirit has a sword, and if we don't take up the sword, there's no killing of our sin. Again, how do we kill sin by the Holy Spirit? We pick up his sword. We store that word, that sword in our heart that we might not sin against God. Listen, what does the Bible say about you? This is also very important. This is as we'll get to the next point about faith in a minute. But I want, we have to know what the Bible says about us and believe it. Listen. In Romans chapter 8, we've already heard that we have no condemnation and the righteous requirement of the law is already satisfied in us, but I want you to hear three more things from Romans 6 through 8 that's important in this warfare. The first one, look at Romans 8, 14, the verse directly following the main verse of this series. Verse 14 says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. What's this saying? That in Christ we're children of God. Doesn't that change the nature of our fighting sin? You do so as a child of God. Our Father will help us in this warfare against sin. We, we fight sin in the palm of God's hand. We, we fight sin in his family. And any Christian who is genuinely in the family of God can't get their way out of that family. So that changes things. Do we believe that? And then also, I want you to see that we are dead to sin and alive to God. Look at Romans 6, 11. This is amazing. Do you believe this? Listen to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Bible is fascinating, and you need to read slowly. 
Do you believe that verse? That you in Christ are dead to sin and you're alive to God. Do you, do you believe that? Because many of you are saying, man, you don't know me. It doesn't feel like I'm dead to sin. Listen to me. I'm telling you to not trust your experience, but trust the word of God. What will have more authority in your life, your feelings or what has been true in your life? Or, or is it possible that there's more to the Christian life than you've yet experienced? Because here's what this verse tells us, is that we, are in reality, are dead to sin. And so we have to resurrect it. It has no more power over you who are in Christ. Jesus Christ has canceled the penalty of your sin. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. He has also broken the power of sin. It's no longer your master. Do you believe that? When you sin, you put yourself in the prison cell, but the door is open in Christ. It will never be locked. And one day, we will be removed from the presence of sin, but that is not today. The word of God is how Jesus killed sin's temptations. Look at Luke chapter 4. I love this. Actually, Luke chapter 3 and 4. Flip there. Come there with me. I want you to see some things, okay? This is really fun to see this. And I know we're kind of getting ahead. We're starting Luke in just a few weeks. Uh, but we're going to take a little preview of Luke chapter 3 and 4 here. It's amazing things that happen. Look at, look at Luke chapter 3, verse 21. This amazing scene. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven whom, and it says this, the father says, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. We have this amazing moment with the, where the Trinity is present. We have Jesus being baptized in the water. We have the Father speaking from heaven. We have the Holy Spirit descending from heaven onto Jesus. This is like a mountaintop experience in the Bible. And then the next verses are a genealogy. And I remember reading this like the, the first time and it's like, why is that genealogy there? Because you see this amazing thing and then it's like, Okay, now we're going to read some names. This is exciting. And I guarantee if any of you are like me, you're like, let's, where does this thing end? And let's, okay, chapter four. No, but don't do that. It's amazing what this genealogy does. This genealogy ties Jesus, look at verse 38 to the end of it, the son of Adam, the son of God. This genealogy works itself from Jesus to Adam, the very first man made by God. And then, chapter four, verse one, it says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. How are we to kill our sin? By the Spirit. He's full of the Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. Listen. So Jesus is tied to Adam, and Adam was in a lush garden being tempted by a serpent, and now the Son of God is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. So the Scriptures are saying that the second and better Adam are here. Adam was in a lush garden. Jesus was in the desert. Both had the serpent tempting them. Adam fails to keep the word of God, but Jesus, our warrior king, conquers through his trust in his father and in the holy scripture. And Romans chapter 5 tells us that through one man's deeds, all were condemned. Condemnation spread to every man, woman, and child. And then through the one man's obedience, Jesus Christ has brought eternal life to all who have believed. And if you look at verse 14, look at verse 14, because as he is tempted by the devil, what does he do? He quotes Holy Scripture again and again and again. He picks up the sword of the Spirit and stabs sin's temptations in the heart. 
And Jesus survives these temptations. And verse 12, and Jesus said to him, the devil, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And then Jesus, verse 14, returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and he started to go teach and heal. How are we to kill sin? By the power of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus return from the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit? It's as if when we say no to sin's temptations, it inflames the Holy Spirit in us. It inflames the holy activity of the Spirit in us to kill our sin. And this word power in the Greek, the sense of the meaning of the word is possession of controlling influence. Jesus was filled with a possession of controlling influence of the Holy Spirit. Adam left the garden to die in the wilderness away from the tree of life. Jesus left the wilderness in the power of the Spirit preaching the kingdom of God. Amazing. He went in the wilderness to be filled with the Holy Spirit and he left in his power. And we are to kill sin by his power. Listen. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so the more we tackle temptation by the power of spirit in us, it inflames his activity. But when we willingly, knowingly, day in and day out, give ourselves to sin, it quenches him, it grieves him. We are sealed with him so he will not leave us, but his activity will decrease So how do we kill sin by the power of the Spirit? Well, the more we say no to temptation and prefer Jesus Christ, the more activity the Holy Spirit we will see in our lives. So in our fight against sin, we must first repent of sins, all of them, and 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 then fight temptation. The first way we fight temptation is by the Word of God. And and now I'll show you how to practically do this at the end of the sermon today, but secondly... Reflection number two is, we fight sin's temptation by faith in God and his word for you. Listen, the word of God alone is not enough. It has to be the word of God plus your faith in the word of God and the God of the word. Look at Luke chapter 22. Look at Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. This is outstanding teaching from Jesus about temptation. Listen to this. In Luke 22, 31 through 34, it says this. Jesus says to Peter, who is also named Simon, 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 behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will, will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you even know me. We need to learn about temptation here. What is the devil after? Simon, Simon, Satan demanded. Do you see the audacity of the devil? that he would demand anything of the Son of God. Do you you see his pride, his, his arrogance is outstanding in here. And he says, I, he demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but here's what Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What is, what is the devil trying to do with the temptations he brings into your life? He's trying to destroy your faith. We have to fight sin's temptation by faith in Christ. We have to trust in Christ. We have to fight for our belief in the word of God, even when it says things like we're dead to sin, but my experience is I'm alive to sin. We wrestle with faith. And and I want you to see here that Peter was not ready and humbly receiving Jesus' words. What does he say? He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus, you're wrong. I'll be fine. I'm going to make it. Peter trusted in himself. How do you fight sin's temptation is that our faith 
Jesus says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. How beautiful is this? So in your fight against temptation, your, your faith is not in you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you making it because you're a strong Christian. No, for those who make it, they see, Jesus, will you pray for me? Jesus not only defeated sin and death on the cross and, and, and rising from the dead, he ascended to heaven at the right hand of the Father where he sits doing what, church? Praying for us. Have you ever asked Jesus, pray for me now? My, my only hope is that you're praying for me now. May my face not fail you this day. Lord, my trust is not in me, it's in you. Pray for me, Jesus. My trust is in your power. And we see in, in, chapter, in verse 46 that Peter wasn't getting it. And when he rose from prayer, Jesus was praying. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. Peter wasn't afraid of what's coming right beyond the Mount of Olives, like he should have been, he was found sleeping. I wonder how many of us are found sleeping throughout our days when temptations are coming, uh, the sinfulness of our hearts are going to lure us away, but we're found sleeping instead of pressing in and asking God to help us. Just, and what does he say? Trials are meant to strengthen us. And, and what does he say? There's a promise in here from Jesus that and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus, there's so much truth in here. He's saying you will fall. You will turn back. I will forgive. And who better to go strengthen other sinners than a, than a sinner who has betrayed Christ, failed, and come, come back to God and received forgiveness? Do you understand that's who... That's how we are to interact with each other in the church, is that we've all failed. And when we turn back to God, he forgives, and we need to help strengthen each other by encouraging one another to turn to Christ. Listen, biblical truth is not enough without faith. Galatians 3.5 says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Listen, John Piper uses this analogy of like uh, the word of God as a plug and outlet, the word of God in faith. If you're trying to charge your phone and the word of God is like plugging your phone into the cord, but faith is like plugging it into the outlet. Both are needed. But when you plug the cord into your phone and then into the outlet, the word of God and faith together have power. The Holy Spirit kills our sin, but you have to believe it. You have to believe the promises of God for you that are in the scriptures. And so listen, faith expresses itself in prayer to God for help. So I wonder how many of you, I wonder how many of you think, I know this is true for you, Matt, but it's just not true for me. I know this is true for every other Christian, but just it's not true for me. It's a fight of faith. So listen, let's, let's put some practical things on this, okay? I want to tell you, by the Spirit, we're told to do this by the Spirit. How do we obey this command? Listen to me. It's going to feel a lot like you're doing it. It's going to feel a lot like you. The Bible tells us to not be drunk on wine, but to be uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So when you hear verses like that, like, what does that feel like? Well, when we obey this, it's going to feel a lot like you. It's going to feel a lot like you setting the alarm early to open up the word of God and to read it. The Holy Spirit isn't moving your arms and your eyes like a robot. This is something that you have to obey, that you have to move towards. But the reality is Philippians 2, 12 and 13 tells us that it's God who works in us to will and to act according to his good purposes. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel a lot like you doing those things. And here's how I best know how to describe this is that you do the things that the Spirit of God tells us to do, but we don't trust anything we do. We trust him and him alone to do this in us. 
But we walk by faith and we do the things that the Spirit of God tells us to do while trusting him and not our actions. In the word of God, I want, I want you to see this. And so here's how I try to put to death sin by the word of God, okay? I want you to encourage you to memorize specific verses dealing with the particular sins that you're trying to kill. So here's an example. You can write these down if you want. You can apply this to any sin that you're trying to kill. Here's an anger example. This is my own personal example of how I, how I try to put to death the sin of anger in my life. I've memorized four verses, and they're in four different categories. Now, there's no special instruction in scriptures like this, but this is how I'm trying to do it. This is how I'm trying to pick up the sword of the Spirit and kill this sin in my life. And the first category of verse that I'm looking for whenever I'm trying to kill sin is God's character. I'm looking for a verse on God's character. And so when I feel the flicker of anger start to rise in me, I'm pre-programmed in my heart. I don't do this perfectly, but this is the fight I'm fighting. Is you have to have a plan, and, and it has to be driven in deep. And so I want to memorize something on God's character, and it's Psalm 103.8. Darren read Psalm 103 today, and it says, The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And these, these te sin, the temptations and sin, it happens in microseconds, doesn't it? Sometimes the, from the moment of temptation to actual sin, we're, we're talking about microseconds. So you have to store these into your heart. And, and in my heart, I'm saying, God, I want to be like you. Please, God, help me to be like you. Slow to anger and not quick to anger. And then the next thing I go to is a command. So the first category of verse is character of God. The second category is a command. And, and the command, God tells us in James uh, 1, 19 and 20, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And to love God is to obey his commandments. And, and Lord, I want to obey you. I want to not be quick to anger. I want to be slow to speak. I want to be quick to listen and slow to anger. I want to obey you, God. The third category is wisdom for me as I'm trying to put to death the sin of anger in my own life. Proverbs 15.1 says, a soft answer or a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't that true? Somebody comes at you hard, comes at you sharp. If you match their energy, now you've stirred the pot, right? Game on. But if you come at them soft, it diffuses the situation. So I want to be wise. I want to be wise. I want to walk in the wisdom that God has given. And then the last category is focusing on Jesus. And that's because of 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Listen to this. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Did you hear that? If you behold the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. Listen to this. This beholding is to gaze at something like in a mirror, to contemplate, to reflect on. And so the Spirit of God is saying, focus on Jesus. And then he says, this is passive tense, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so the Spirit of God is saying, focus on Jesus. And when you contemplate Jesus, I will transform you. So in your fight against sin, you need to contemplate Jesus. And, and the verse I chose for, for this, for anger, is Mark 4.39. And it says this about Jesus being in a boat. He, he awoke and rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. And so in my fight against anger, I want to contemplate the power of Jesus to even speak to the wind, the waves, the sea, 
and bring peace, he has the power to calm this heart when it starts to get angry. Amen? So the character of God, a command, wisdom, Jesus. That's no secret formula, but, but getting the word of God in your heart and fighting for it to be stored and to dwell richly in you. And now, practically, faith. You keep talking about faith, but is your faith well? And how much faith, you might ask, should you have for this to happen? Listen, brothers and sisters. It's not the strength of the faith that matters. It's the object. So whether you have a weak faith or a deep, rich, robust faith, it's in the object of our faith that matters most. Jesus teaches that. And the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain to cast up and go into the sea. And I believe he's talking about sin in those passages. The, the size of a mustard seed, the faith of a mustard seed can save a soul. And so what do I say? What does the word of God say to those who are struggling in their faith? Romans 10, 17, listen to this. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Do you see the circular nature of this? The Holy Spirit saying, listen, you want more faith? Give yourself to the word of Christ. And the Holy Spirit may increase your faith. Listen, who cannot resonate deeply with the man who prayed, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. We all need God's help. Listen, to finish this, Proverbs 20, verse 9 says, Who can say I have made my heart pure? I am clean from my sin. None of us. None of us could say I, am, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from sin, but one person can say this. One person is pure. Jesus was pure. His heart was clean from all sin until the cross. Jesus' heart was clean from all sin until he hung on the cross and he made this great exchange for you and I. He absorbed our sins in his body and bore them on the tree and took our punishment for us, our, our sin for his righteousness. Listen to me, if you're without Christ today, if you're without a relationship with God today, he wants to make an exchange with you. He's offering to take your sin and to give you his righteousness. That's an offer you should not refuse. Repent of your sins and trust in him. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in his people. Repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus is how you become one of his people. Won't you do that this morning? And when in the killing sin process, many can start to think that God is always displeased with you throughout this process. process. Listen to me. God is not that way. God delights and rejoices in his people. We are his treasured possessions. And, 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 I want you to see this. At the end of our lives, when we see Jesus face to face, we always, we always focus on how excited we're going to be to see him, right? Do you know that I believe that he's going to be more excited to see us than we are going to be to see him? I don't think we have a concept of how much he loves us as his own. And, and some a book that really helped me to see this is called Gentle and Lowly. And he gives this illustration in the book. It's like the doctor illustration. And he gives, he says that, imagine a doctor who lived in a faraway country. who was rich. He learned about this disease happening in another country and he, he had the cure. And so he closed up his practice and he moved to this faraway country and he, he set up shop and he started advertising as the people of the town were dying, he's saying, I have the remedy. And he was surprised that no one came. And then finally, someone showed up and said, I'll take the remedy. And then in the book, he asks, how does the doctor feel 
about saving this patient? Is he burdened and angry? Or is he rejoicing? Jesus did leave a faraway country. He left his throne in heaven to come searching for the lost. And he's not surprised about how sick we are. Even after he saves us, he's not surprised about how sick you are. That's, that's why he came. He is a savior who saves all the way, but he's not burdened and angry by saving you. That's the very reason he came here. We can trust him. He is a good savior. And remember what Ian Newland said about Ross's sacrifice. I uh, Ross McGinnis' sacrifice, I live with it every day. I see it every day. I, I, I want to live to the fullest for him. And, and may we preach the truth of the gospel to our hearts every day and live for the honor of Jesus Christ. You know, when Ross died for his friends, they were still hurt in the process. But when Jesus died for us, there was no shrapnel of God's wrath left. He absorbed it all. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And, and Jesus, we are so grateful for your gift of grace in our lives. And Lord, I just pray right now that your spirit move on anyone in here that is far from you, God. I pray that they call upon your name to be saved. God, may they not stay in their sins. May they May they look to you to be saved. And Jesus Christ, I pray that you fill your church. I pray that you fill your people with your Holy Spirit. And God, I, I, I pray that you shake us out of our complacency. I pray, that, I pray that we're not like Peter, just asleep and trusting in ourselves. Maybe we've been following Christ for a long time and we have a lot of confidence in ourselves and and Jesus, may, may you awaken us to realize that all of our faith is in you. We can't do this without you. Jesus Christ, thank you for being our great physician who is not shocked by how sinful our sinfulness is and that you don't run from us and you don't feel burdened by giving us the remedy as we saying, give me the gospel. It's, it saves me again and again. Lord, that's so true that we need your truth and to prefer your truth, Lord, more than the fleeting pleasures of sin. And so God, help us to be free and joyful, to bear the fruit of your Holy Spirit, but yet walking in your spirit and killing our sins by your power. God, will you have your way? We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.